the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Only got two hours left in the program. Bar Canada is the spot downtown here at the D. JVT filling in for Steve Cofield, Adam Candy alongside as well. Devon, you have the football crunches or were you just flying? No, no football crunches? Oh, you can get them if you want. All right. Hold on, hold on. I can do uh, it. Uh, uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe we should just have that. Yeah. That's why just... we took the damn field. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. I like that, too. I like that, too. Yeah, that's Yeah, good. I mean, Denny Green's always welcome. Rest in peace. Yep, you're already better than Ari, for sure. Uh, okay, so a couple of stories here. Uh, first off, this is, you know, this is draft season, Adam. Uh, we get the smoke screens all the time. Can I just very quickly touch on the concept of a smoke screen? I've always loved thinking about it in this way, right? Arthur Blank opens up his newspaper one day. I assume Arthur Blank still reads newspapers. It's 2021. I don't think anybody does, but Arthur Blank's old, so maybe. He sits there. He's drinking his morning coffee. He's got his slippers on. He's in that giant, massive leather chair that you see in all the cliche rich people fireplace-like areas, you know? And all of a sudden, he sits up in his chair really quickly. Headline, right? Team A is thinking about Justin Herbert. And it's like, whoa, what? I got to get out there. I know it's an old reference. It was last year. But you know what I mean? Like, you got better call up the brass and be like, guys, I just read a report that Team A is looking at a quarterback that we might want. Let's change our draft stock. I don't buy the concept of teams putting out fake reports to fool other teams. I feel like you have a general connection within the league that you'd be able to find out what your adversaries are thinking rather than putting out smoke screens in the media. Hmm. So you're saying that when we talk about something like a draft market for the third or fourth overall pick, and we went from Mac Jones minus 300 to someone snapping their fingers, writing a tweet, and saying, I'm hearing that Justin Fields had a great weekend, and all of a sudden we're Fields minus 300. Right. But there wasn't any actual hard evidence in there? Right. That it was just things happening on air? Because it feels like that's everything that we're dealing with right now, whether it's Arthur Blank and making up fake Arthur Blank reports or Mac Jones, you know, not being, uh, you know, the pudgy kid from Alabama. Right. The concept of sliding up and down draft boards has mm. always been funny to me. Mm. Ah, your stock, it's sliding. Like, no, he's always been there. Yeah. Like a team who always thought the whatever about player X has thought about that about player X for a while, and it's probably going to be like that. Barring a Laramie Tunsil gas mask bong on draft night, Nothing's really going to happen that's going to change the draft stock of folks. But we do get this report. Uh Uh-oh. Headline. What does Arthur Blank want the Falcons to do at number four? Peter King's Football Morning in America column. Quote, Falcons owner Arthur Blank is fascinated by the quarterbacks atop the draft, thinking the franchise might not be in such an advantageous position to take one for years, but Blank will not force a decision. Of that, I am sure. He hired GM Terry Fontenot and coach Arthur Smith and won't bigfoot them on their first big call. So I love when you take that that quote as a whole from from King's column. He's saying that Blank is fascinated by the quarterbacks. He's not going to do anything about it, but he's fascinated by the quarterbacks at the top of this draft. Yeah, aren't we all? I mean, I heard earlier today that they launched a helicopter off the surface of Mars. That's it's, fascinating. That is really? something that, yeah, seriously, like a little helicopter, like a tiny little thing. Get out That's of here. the sort of thing that I consider 
fascinating. Like, tape on Trey Lance from the one game he played this year, I do not find fascinating. So I don't think Arthur Blank is sitting in his rich guy leather chair having someone, uh, by the way, read the newspaper to him. Come on, he's not actually reading the newspaper. But I don't think Arthur Blank is sitting around fascinated by the quarterbacks. But you know what? Let's play along. Arthur Blank is fascinated by the quarterbacks. You think that the man who built a fortune as a businessman is the type to just say, I hired some guys to take care of that. No big deal. You think he's really just going to leave it alone if he's fascinated by the quarterbacks, John? I don't think so at all. Smart people delegate, Adam. Uh-huh. What the hell's going on out here? That's, no, it's oh, good. That was good. I like it. I like it. I like it. It's what we're all trying to figure out, Vince. I, I, I don't know what's going on. No, I liked it as a response to you. That's good. That's a good point too. I mean, rich people do delegate, but still, what the right. hell is going on out here? I like it very they, much. Well, so. they delegate who reads the newspaper to them. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought about like the fact that like the cosmos are endless? It's just like this vast space, and it just goes on and on forever. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. That is fascinating. But no, no, Justin Fields against Northwestern, not fascinating. I also like to think sometimes we're just like playing out Osmosis Jones in real life. Like we're all like the body cells of like a giant being. That we don't is, even know it. I swear to God, John, I would never have thought of Osmosis Jones again <laughs> had you not said it right then and there. It's a, it's a good movie. Nobody's with me on that. Osmosis Jones, very low key. There you go. Thank oh, Demond's in. Demond's in. Oh, by the way, yeah, Demond is in today. No Ari. That's why the show's been running smoothly. So. Oh yeah, it's it's well oiled machine. <laughs> All right, let's. What, what other football cut you got, Demond? Fire something. Let's see. Yeah, just play something. Let's play we'll, we'll Hello, you play to win the game. It's very true, and yes. actually a very apt soundbite. Look at that. He, he knows. Champion of life, Alex Smith, as Adam Candy has put it. He played to win the game, and he's no longer going to play the game though. Alex Smith retires. Adam Candy. Alex Smith announces his own retirement on Instagram. Goes out on his own terms, which is something that just imagine saying five years ago. Alex Smith goes out on his own terms, considering what we saw happen to Alex Smith and the trials and tribulations this guy went through just to walk onto the field in the rain for the Washington football team this year and take a few snaps. Like, I understand when people say, rename the comeback player of the year for Alex Smith and never look back, because you will never find another story that is going to top what Alex Smith went through nearly losing his leg, nearly losing his life to come back and get onto a field. And the fact that he wanted to play again this year and essentially wasn't finding any sort of a market, and before he could just sort of sit around and wait for a call in the offseason, a guy with the perspective on life of Alex Smith with a wife and three kids and, and can say, you know what, I already knew there was life beyond football because I had to face that reality from everything I went through to get back to playing football. He could very easily look at it and say, I'm good. We're set for life. I have my generational wealth from being the number one pick in the NFL draft. I'm good. There's life beyond football. But the fact that he actually came back and proved that he could still play football, come on, man. Come on. Like, it's, it's as unbelievable a story as anything we'll, we'll ever talk about when it comes to the NFL. Yeah, uh, I agree, man. And, you know, it's funny. When I saw that he retired and I was looking over some of his, like, some of his career stuff and his numbers, one, I think it's lost on us. And this story is, you know, covers up a lot of it because of the comeback and everything. I think it's lost on us how good a quarterback Alex Smith actually was. Like when he was in the right systems, helping that San Francisco 49ers team in that part to get to an NFC Championship game in a Super Bowl, right? Being on a dominant Chiefs team multiple times, 
right, and leading that team before Patrick Mahomes came along, setting the ground for him. He was a damn good quarterback, too, before he got injured. The Giants against the 49ers in that NFC Championship yep. game. I forgot it about was that, a yeah. miracle that the Giants won that game. An absolute miracle the Giants. That 49ers team looked like a steamroller. And we would be talking about Alex Smith so much differently if the 49ers don't fumble a punt in overtime and give the ball to the Giants down in field goal range. Like, that was a miracle Giants win before they went and beat the Patriots for the second time. But Alex Smith was at the helm of that team for San Francisco and should have been a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! That's right. I'm almost there. Ten, ten years, man. I'll be a man. I'll be 40. I'd like to go back to 40. Is that possible? You know, there's a lot of people on this show. I don't know how old they are. I still don't know how old Ari is. I make the joke consistently that he's 50 teen because I just I don't. I, he could be anywhere in that range. I did not know. I don't. I still don't know how old you are, Adam. I'm assuming you're not 50. Yet. I'm not. No, thank you. Uh, no, this this actually goes back to a long running uh, segment with Jared and Tyler, first on technically correct, and then on the press box where uh, Jared said. You could convince me that you are anywhere between 30 and 50. Yeah. And so I just didn't tell him. And for months I didn't tell him. And there was a great reveal a couple of months ago on the press box. But considering we got a little mystery going for you right now, I'm just going to leave it hanging. That, that's the same thing for Ari. You could tell me he's 35. You could tell me he's 50. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. Totally get it. Totally understand. Yeah. Uh, where we? Oh, yeah. Raiders OTAs. So we have everything going on with these virtual OTAs and teams you know, voting against it and not appearing. Uh, the Raiders – yeah, I read this report correct, Adam, uh, that the Raiders, like all teams, begin phase one of OTAs today. Team voted last week to skip the in-person phase, so nobody's at the facility, correct? Hmm. Well, they left a little wiggle room in that statement that they put out that said that, that uh, players could show up to the facility, but that their vote as a team was hmm. not to do it. Here's the problem with that. There are more than 100 guys in the NFL and a handful of them on the Raiders, who have workout bonuses, and some of them fairly significant up to six figures for showing up to OTAs. So they have gone in person, have a handful of Raiders, to the facility out in Henderson. We don't know exactly whom, but we can kind of guess based on who has the workout bonuses built into their contracts. But according to uh, our own Vinny from Raider Nation Radio, Vinny has said that there are players for the Raiders who are out there in person at OTAs. Okay. So nothing to nothing do I get to go like, oh, my God, here we go, Raiders. Can't communicate. This is a problem. You do not. Oh, because okay. most yeah. of the statements that were out there, and we're looking at about a third of the teams that opted to do things this way and say as a unified front, we don't feel that we need to go to in-person OTAs, that if they're voluntary, and, you know, the idea of voluntary is a lot more like voluntold in the NFL, but if it's truly voluntary, then, okay, you're choosing not to be there. But the PA also knows that these contracts, these contracts are big money for some of these players. Yep. You know, I mean, for Derek Carr, if he has a $25,000 workout bonus, big deal. But if you're talking about a guy who is an end-of-the-roster kind of player who's got $50,000 sitting on it, it's a different story. Devine, you got one more? You got one more football clip for us? God, I am loving the potpourri. That's why we took the damn field. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. That's right. I like the slap. Such a good slap of it. Oh, we start with one. Denny. We end with Denny. Well Perfect. Uh, I just wanted to note this report came down, uh, and this is a, one of those reports, Adam, where like obviously this is happening because I think it happens for every single pick. Uh, but Nick Shook wrote this up for the NFL draft, according to the Interrap report. Dolphins 
uh, already participating in two first-round p- uh, trades, as we know, are receiving calls from teams interested in the number six pick in the NFL draft. Now, I think, again, this is kind of nothing. I think every single team has received calls. I'm pretty sure the Jacksonville Jaguars have received calls. It's what you do with the calls that obviously matters. Not anything crazy, but the Dolphins are in a weird spot because it's that weird nebulous area where there could be one of those quarterbacks that's available. We're talking about maybe a guy like Kyle Pitts potentially like falling if for some reason the Falcons don't want to take him and they go quarterback and then the Cincinnati Bengals go offensive line. Dolphins are in a weird spot, but it looks like they could add to the draft cash here. They are taking calls. Think about this for a second. If the Dolphins trade that pick sometime before the draft, can you imagine what the calls to Cincinnati are going to look like? Right. Right? Can you imagine what the offers for the number five pick are going to be like? Because if someone comes to six, you know they're coming for that fifth quarterback. And if the quarterbacks really are, as we were talking about with George Shahuri from PFF, going to go one, two, three, four, and the last of that quarterback class is sitting there at five, oh, my goodness. Joe Burrow is going to be sitting on a hall of draft picks. Yep. All right, we'll come back. Major League Baseball, of course, in full swing. We were talking about it a couple of minutes ago, right? One of the most watched weekends, one of the most watched 18 days in baseball history on MLB TV. Well, we had a pretty good series over the weekend between the Dodgers and the Padres. People couldn't get enough of it. I want to find out what Adam thinks about these two teams. Are they the best two teams in Major League Baseball? Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Bar Canada inside the D. Yeah, no Steve Cofield today. John Von Tobel, JVT, filling in for Steve. Uh, we will be here till 8 o'clock tonight down at Bar Canada, hanging out and have drinks, watching sports, doing what people do. What's that? Uh, what's that? Is it an old like, football video? I don't even know what college program it is. The old guy standing up in the stands where he's like, what's better than this? Guys being dudes. Is that what you we're doing? S- you never seen know, is this? That, is that what we're doing right now? I had no idea that's what we were doing. Yeah. Are, are we, we're, we're guys being dudes? Is that yeah, it? we're guys. What's better than this? Like, he's, it's funny. Dude, i got to show you the video. He's like standing over a foot. You can see all these players like practicing. And he's like looking at the camera all triumphant. He's like, what's better than this? Guys being dudes. All right, I got nothing better than that, I guess. I sure, I'm, 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 dude, I'm duding up right now. There was a lot of guys being dudes over the weekend in Major League Baseball. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm a guy that's a dude almost every day. Um, okay. Dodgers and Padres, to the almost in there. Dodgers and Padres. What do you think of the series, Adam? Because so I am somewhat cynical by nature, and there was a lot of on social media. I'm totally watching the series. Look at me. I'm tweeting about it. I swear it's a lot of fun because I'm telling you that I'm watching it up on Twitter. It was a baseball series in April. It was a good series, but relax. Am I being too cynical? I posted a grand total of zero tweets about the series, and that is also the amount of innings that I watched. Not intentionally. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I was saying, oh. You're a sports radio host, and you didn't watch potentially the two best teams in baseball go at it for three games over the weekend, Adam? I, you know what, believe it or not, even the people who work at Cold Stone do not go home and read up on ice cream. Like, (laughs) I I did take a break. That would be Uh, really dope, actually. It's like one (laughs) server that's insanely educated on, like, the the intricacies and science of making ice cream. It would be good. 
Uh, uh, excuse me, you understand that the air content in this is far, far higher than gelato. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, no, I, don't, I don't think that's the way we're going with this. But No, I didn't see any of it. I, look, I, I am stoked for the idea of this rivalry, right? I, baseball could use a new rivalry. Because we've been kind of ginning it up for a few years with the Yankees and the Red Sox. It's for a few like, eh, years. Whatever. What, a few decades. Let's move past it. Nobody cares. Thank you. And, <laughs> I, you know, Cardinals-Cubs hasn't been interesting for a long time. And, obviously, Dodgers-Giants? Come on. Like, yeah. you know, there's nothing happening there right now. So, Dodgers-Padres feels fun, right? Like, it really does feel like big brother and little brother. It really feels like little brother got a wild hair up the bum this year and was like we're going for it like guys let's do this you know what like no one gets to live forever like we gotta do this while we can and here comes you darvish and here comes blake snell and here comes all the reinforcements right and the dodgers were like (laughs) it's adorable let's get trevor bauer just because we can and then here we go right but it was fun and i will admit i was not one of the people who was trying to uh trying to sell everybody that I was watching on the series. Yeah, and that is a good point uh, about the rivalries. I didn't even think about it from that perspective, thinking about all the ones that are kind of forced down our throats for the most part and realizing like they, that there isn't. There isn't really much there. Like None of the teams are really competitive. Like I guess you can go with like a Braves-ish Phillies, but it's so I think that is so centered around that area of the country, the area. It's you know the East Coast. They're not very close together. But you understand what I'm saying. I think that's a fantastic point. And I get it, like, it's two really good teams. And there were some things that happened over the weekend in the series, right? I guess you had, like, the benches-clearing brawl. Or in baseball now, it's just a whole bunch of guys pointing at each other and yelling and bumping chests and nothing really happening for the most part. You had Clayton Kershaw getting really pissed. Was it Jerks of Profar who, like, got, who drew a catcher's interference? And then Kershaw from the other side, while it's under review, telling him that's a BS swing because he's mad that he gave up the base runner. Like, things like that. It was cool, and it was fun. But I also marvel at the fact that, Adam, these might be the two best teams in baseball, right? Because Hodges got a lot going on, really deep team, and yet you're looking at what transpired in the series and realizing that, yeah, you know, one of the games went to extra innings, the other was a low-scoring contest, the Padres might have won one. Dodgers were kind of in control, like, throughout the entire series, which is kind of weird. Like, there was a good comeback from San Diego in the Friday night game, but it still ended in, what was it, an 11-5 final? Like, it's it's kind of nuts how good the Dodgers are. That was actually my takeaway from this entire series. There is a serious threat to the wins record this year. I mean, if they want a, to, right? What's that? If they want to take it seriously, like if they yeah, want to. If yeah. they want to go that way. I, look, on this airwave, on these airwaves and on the Beeson airwaves, we spent plenty of time talking about the Dodgers' win total this year. 103, 104, whatever it was. And I couldn't find anybody who wanted to take the under uh, – except, of course, Adam Hill. But, you know, <laughs> I, find, you know I, I can't imagine Adam Hill wanting to be contrary to the trend that's going on. So He's not a contrarian. No, goodness. So, you know, it, it is seriously under threat. But you mentioned something else in there that I think – you talked about the, you know, the amount of time people have spent watching baseball in the early season. It's doing well. And, but there was a low-scoring game in there, and then there was a game that basically took until 1.30 in the morning East Coast time to finish – on Friday. I actually uh, watched every second of that one. Hey, West Coast advantages, right? right? And so Joe Sheehan, baseball writer, this week tweeted and said, right now, Major League Baseball league-wide OPS, or I should say on-base percentage, 312. 
It is. We are on pace for the lowest major league on base percentage in history. Three fifteen would be the number. So people will watch pitching for a while, and they'll watch because they're still excited about baseball, and they'll watch because they have no football. But we we got to get some offense going here league wide if this is going to be something that tr- continues. As I understand it, shouldn't I be mad? Like, or no, shouldn't I be happy? Isn't isn't steps forward when it comes to offense a bad thing? Don't we complain about this in the NBA like all the time? Offense is bad, right? These players have ruined the game with all this three point shooting. There's no more fundamentals. Don't we want crappy low scoring games? Shouldn't we be happy about this? I, I, apparently so. Football has changed all the rules in the last twenty years. Every rule that they have changed favors the offense. Basketball has done the same, right? I mean, they've done the same. It, Baseball is the one sport that can't seem to put all this together, and they decided, you know what? Last year was all about home runs and strikeouts. So you know what we need to do? Let's get rid of the home runs. Let's deaden the baseball this year. Bro, you know how many times like I've been watching games, and I will hear a crack of the bat like when I'm not paying attention, and my initial thought as I'm looking toward the screen is, oh, that thing's gone. And then it just dies like two feet into the warning track or something like that. Like It is pretty nuts. The baseball's clearly different. Like, I think, what was it, exit velocities up, all that stuff, but the home runs are down. Like, they did something. Dude, you and me are the same baseball fan because I'm not staring at the screen for three hours, right? Oh, can I'm doing other stuff. Yeah. But I hear that crack of the bat, and my head snaps up. Like, I know what it sounds like when they made really good contact, and I'm looking up like, oh, this is going to be good. And then you see the right fielder drifting back to the edge of the track, and you're like, oh, all right. Yep, well, baseball's boring. Uh, let's talk about some fun stuff. <laughs> New uniforms. I'm totally down with that. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Time now for Dustin DeHart's Club 99. Back to Steve Cofield. Uh, That's a lie, Leon. No Steve Cofield today. John Von Tobel, JVT, as they say. Filling in for Steve, Bar Canada is the spot, Adam Candy alongside. Uh, for those who are interested in hearing and seeing the soft face of one Steve Cofield, he will be filling in for me and Adam Hill tonight on the Late Night Pod. So you can check that out. Adam Hill is out. I am out as well. But Steve will be along with Dave Koken. So if you want to check it out, Late Night Pod will be up about 10.30 p.m. this evening on social media. All right, Adam. Now... I need to make my stance clear of it first. I think, as a society, we have a problem when it comes to judging oh, there's more. new uniforms. Well, yeah, we got a lot of problems. Right. Uh, but when it comes to judging new uniforms, I think we have a problem. I think for the most part, when sports uniforms, like new ones, are released, I think like nine times out of ten, they're like perfectly fine. There's nothing really wrong with them. But like every single thing it sucks it blows it's terrible hate that uniform now you don't offer any constructive criticism as to how you would fix that uniform that's neither here nor there Bengals got new unis today what'd you think if it takes me like two or three looks at it you know like that picking out the where's waldo to figure out what changed you didn't make that big a change that's kind of how I felt about the Bengals uniform. You didn't, you didn't notice the change, huh? No, I mean, I know. Uh, by the time I looked closer, yeah. But it wasn't like, all right, 
if you are a fan of the Miami Heat and you see them wearing the cotton candy uniforms, you understand that something different has happened. But for the Bengals, just tweaking, you know, tweaking the shoulders and that sort of thing, eh, it's fine. It's like you said. It's perfectly fine. I like them. I think you're I'm a big in fan. You you're like you're you're going to the other end of the spectrum. Like, well, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I'm total. I think I'm totally in. I like it because I like I like the fact that they're going pretty much all solid colors. I've never really been a, been a big fan of like you know essentially like the shoulder pads. Like, you remember the old school UNLV uniforms? Like they had like six different patches of colors, and they had like the sil- I think it was like the silver shoulder pads or whatever it was. Like the early two thousands ish ones. Those are some pretty ugly ones. Right? I don't like uniforms like that. Even though they're all the same t- like color scheme, it's just too much. Like, Give me some solid patterns and colors. I'm down with this. I like the majority being one color. I'm also a big fan of, just to let you know, Adam, back in my day, I led the Bengals to a Super Bowl in Madden, and I was a big fan of the all-whites. So these new all-whites that they got going on, I think all-white is the best uniform combination there is. And when I was in my youth, I thought it was the colors, but that's wrong. All whites are so clean. It is the best uniform combo you can go with, and the, the Bengals are going to work that in more. I'm in. Who quarterbacks that Bengals team in Madden? Uh, that would be my made-up player that I made in the draft and then drafted. I think his name was like – actually, actually, I do think his name was Conroy Twitty. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think I named him that. Conroy Twitty. That's right. Philly. I, uh, no, I did not. Demon asking, yeah, they did not import him from NCAA. Conway Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, look, the Bengals did the right thing because if you look right now and say who has the best uniforms in the NFL, I want your answer first before I go. This who has the best uniforms in the NFL? Just their standard uniforms. Standard uniforms. Best uniform in the NFL. Chargers. Not gonna argue. I can I can live with Chargers. If we could get that Rams uniform from, like, flesh-colored to go back to normal white, those would be fantastic. Right. Like, so that you, is as good as it gets. Those are the uniforms that came to mind when I was talking about how everybody complained. Like, like if you just change it to, like, a, like a, okay, like a, like a white, like a really strong white, I guess. Like, that's cool. That's a good-looking uniform. I thought that was overblown. I thought those were actually pretty cool-looking uniforms. They call uh, what they call it bone. The color was called bone. Like I know that color as the color that my undershirts got to, where my ex was like, "Hey, that one's got to go." And I'm like, "But now they're soft." And I'm like, "Right, but that one's not white anymore." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." And that's kind of like what, what the Rams uniforms look like. So I think the Bengals are good. I, if I were rating the bang, the new Bengals unis Madden wise, I don't know, I'll, I'll go like 85. That's strong. Eh, good I like 85. It. I like it. Yeah. We're in agreement here. I was going to go 88. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mainly because you just said 85, and I hadn't thought of a number yet, and so I feel like okay. I just want to be a little bit stronger than you. But. Uh, well, Conroy Twitty was probably like a 95, right? Oh, well, Conroy Twitty was actually back in the day where at Madden you could actually just max out the sliders on your creative <laughs> player. So, like, he was like a 99 overall, and, like, all I would do was run, like, naked boots to the other end of the field and just, like, run for 99-yard touchdowns. Totally realistic, you know what I mean? Yeah, quarterback with like a 5,000-yard rushing season leads you to the Super Bowl. It's awesome. I mean, come on. The Tennessee Titans, undefeated season, 19-0. and And that was after. Those clowns, the Cardinals, didn't want to re-sign me. Come on. What are we doing? Bengals? Oh, we all won titles. How could they do it? Just giving out titles like Oprah's giving out cars. Listen, I, <laughs> I, built, I built a 
in what NCAA football 01, I think. UNLV football had a dynasty. I mean, like seven national championships in a row. Everyone wanted to come to UNLV to play football. We couldn't even fit them all in. You were like, turning I, down the Conway Twitties of the universe, huh? Like, like Conroy Twitty Jr., who wanted to come and be part of our, uh, our quarterback class, Young man, you better walk your butt down to Alabama because we don't have room uh, for you. I'd correct you. At that point, it would have been Conway Twitty Sr. Conway Twitty Jr. actually played in, you know, late 2000s. So. Thanks for reminding me. I'm old. Yeah, just got to remind you put that out there. Uh, also, I could do a lot of talk on Madden franchises. Uh, by the way, MLB The Show, 9 o'clock tonight. Becomes active. I'm in. PlayStation 5. At Danny underscore sandwiches. If you want to add me, play some MLB The Show tonight. Let's do it. All right. Also, this one's interesting. So people project certain personas, and I think there are certain people that would fit in certain roles. Like, I kind of got the Aaron Rodgers Jeopardy host thing. If you listen to enough media with Aaron Rodgers as an interviewee or whatever, he's actually pretty charismatic. He's obviously pretty smart. He can hold the conversation. I kind of got it, right? And his appearances weren't terrible. He was kind of stiff, but something where I feel like you had something there, right? Like there were seeds. If you, if you, if you messed with him, if you put enough water, love, care, he could have bloomed into a, a relatively solid Jeopardy host. Dr. Oz missed me with that. I don't even know what the hell that is. We have a new guy in the mix. Joe Buck? Like, now, I will say, DeMond pumps his fist, I, I think that Joe Buck is unnecessarily hated for his role as a play-by-play guy. I think he does a fine job. I've never had any complaints about you know his calls whatsoever. But I've also never thought of him as funny and charismatic. So I don't know how he fits as host of Jeopardy. I could see Joe Buck hosting a game show, just not that game show. I don't think the personality is all that bad. Uh, I watched. You remember back when he had that hour-long interview show that it was a uh, you know on Directv for a while. Like I watched a few episodes. That it wasn't half bad. But I think Joe Buck gets way too much hate. Yeah, look, I. I, I haven't spent a lot of time in my life doing play-by-play, but enough to have some sense of what I think the fundamentals are. He's there. He's got it. Like, if you're someone who's out there saying, well, you know, he's not Jim Nance. Jim Nance is terrible. I can't stand the, the ego that comes into it with Jim Nance. So Joe Buck is sort of like, yeah, he's got enough self-deprecating that I think it could work. But as Jeopardy host? I don't know, man. Like... I'm excited for Anderson Cooper. I think that's the way we should be going here. Yeah, you know what? I didn't know that he was in the mix until I read this Joe Buck article. So that's an intriguing, that's an intriguing candidate. And, uh, Cooper, uh, Cooper Anderson? I was going to say Anderson. Wait, no. What's his name? Cooper. Uh, Con- it's, Con- it's Conroy Twitty. Conroy Twitty. Yes. Yeah. You like that reference. Huh? I like, really enjoy Conroy Twitty. Yeah. Anderson Cooper. Yeah, I, I kind of like, I get the Anderson Cooper. That's an intriguing candidate. This list of names, by the way. So what, it's Anderson Cooper, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Katie Couric, Dr. Oz, 60 Minutes veteran Bill Whitaker, former contestant Buzzy Cohen, uh, Maim Bialik, today co-anchor Savannah Guthrie, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. I'm going to have to hold you, hold you for a second there on Maim Bialik, who is Mayim Bialik, who was Blossom. Oh, okay. Back in the day. Before your day. I got to look this up now. I don't know who that is. Uh, she was. She's also, I believe, although I haven't watched the show, I just know this from promos on The Big Bang Theory as the girlfriend or something like that. I have never seen this woman before in my life. Okay. I never watched Big Bang Theory either, so. No, I mean, I, like I said, I know I've seen the face recently, but anyway, 
Who, Who's is on, who on that list jumps out at you? Nobody. Yeah. That's I don't know. I'm not. I'm but also. But that was Trebek. Like, who's going to follow Trebek? Right. I'm also kind of dumb. Like, Jeopardy does not tickle my fancy whatsoever. I mean, now there was a time when I would get super inebriated and watch Jeopardy and try to get people to like. We try to bet on it, commentate on it, like it was actual sports. Like, you know, in the in the uh, the back end is a double Jeopardy where you get guys just like going on a run really quick and just ripping off can, like categories left and right to make massive comebacks. But it's just not for me. I got an idea for you. Hmm. I got an idea for for you to to run this back and make a lot of money. Are you you're aware that there are now Jeopardy episodes on Netflix? Correct. Okay. Get your friends drunk. Just act like you got one recorded, Will right? Like act yes. like you just got one on the DVR. But it's an episode of ne- it's an episode from Netflix that you've already fucking mastered. Like, you you just, you've mastered it. And run it back. What do you think? 99. Club 99. I give it a 99. Steal people's money. Always down with something like that. Speaking of stealing money, I and Sports Gambling is coming up next here on Cofield Company. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. No Sam Panjanovic today. No Steve Co- No Steve Cofield today either. Yeah, we got nothing here. It's just uh, John Von Tobel, Adam Candy. Maybe I was supposed to reach out to Sam Panjanovic. Hmm. Uh, oh well. well Sammy's, Sammy's usually a Tuesday kind of guy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, regardless, I'm sitting at Bar Canada. I'm going to be here till eight o'clock today. So is Angel. He's got to stick. He's got to stick around. Don't worry. I'm going to buy Angel a drink. We're going to hang out. Have a lot of fun. We're sitting at a massive table shaped like a guitar pick, by the way. So come on down, say what's up. Fist bumps only. That's what I do. I've also I've I've only strictly been a fist bump guy, anyways. Majority of my life, even before the pandemic. Handshakes are a little too intimate for me. We do have games underway. Adam Candy, a fascinating gambling opportunity between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Detroit Pistons. Fifty-two to thirty-nine. Six fifty left to go in the second. The Pistons hit, I think, every single one of their shots in the first quarter. Actually, we're up 32-9 to at one point. Now only up by 13. Basketball. Crazy sport, huh? Let's, let's define the word opportunity when referring to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I just mean I bet on the Pistons before the game started, and then I set up okay. myself yeah, for a middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the betting opportunity is unique to myself and only myself, at least within this room that we are discussing it. Maybe somebody else out there, too. So. Hashtag relatable content. That's right. That's what we do. Uh, I have understood that in the sports gambling world, all I do is talk about how smart I am. Nothing about the things that I get wrong. So, I can fill those in for me if you want. <laughs> uh, was was not my was not my smartest weekend when it comes to sports gambling. So, if you need someone to balance you out, you just let me know. Now, I will say this is a this is a fun conversation to have, and you will know much about this too. When it comes to the betting market. And the reaction to injuries, especially in a league like the NBA, where you know one guy carries a lot of weight. Can you answer this question? I've asked myself this question. I've asked this question to many people. Maybe you have an answer for it. Why does the betting market consistently hedge against the questionable player not playing? So why I say that is, for example, today, the Philadelphia 76ers just tipped off uh, against the uh, Golden State Warriors, right? Steph Curry was questionable today, Adam, to play. 
when the first injury report came out at 10.30 this morning, that number got to nine. It closed four and a half. So, like, what I've always wondered is, why does the market and why do oddsmakers hedge toward questionable player not playing as opposed to actually thinking the player might play? Because think about that. If you got in on that, catching nine, and again, it's all about information, what you have, and you can, you know, you can lay four and a half at the close, and you can catch nine throughout the day. You can set yourself up relatively nicely. You can also probably find those opportunities in-game. But I've always found it interesting that the market does that, especially when it comes to the NBA. So think about it this way. So if, it's, if you assume that it's priced in in the first place, right, if you're right. assuming from the beginning that it's priced in, that the player is not going to play, then you're probably not going to lose all that much, right, but... By waiting, and the player doesn't play. But that's not the common situation. The common situation with questionable is that the player is going to play. Look at the way that the Lakers dealt with LeBron prior to the serious injury. LeBron right. was listed as questionable every game. Yep. And every game he played. And he was listed as questionable in a league where you can have a probable designation. This isn't like the old NFL, right? Like, the old NFL, you had probable, questionable, doubtful. Well, you know, now the NFL got rid of probable and doubtful. It's just questionable, or are you playing? The NBA gives you the doubtful option for the guy who's probably not going. Yep, it's so weird. And think about it, too, from your perspective, like what you're talking about, is when it's, been, it's, it's factored into the market. But like I said, it got to nine. I will bet you, and I can't find out an answer to it, but I'll bet you regardless, that if Steph Curry was ruled out, I was going to get to like 10 or 11, which is like so weird. Just given the fact that, you know, that we can talk about power ratings, things like that, but it's so odd the way the betting market reacts to those things. So we had that earlier today. We have a couple of games left to tip off later tonight. Uh, Milwaukee and Phoenix, I would say, is the highlight game of the evening. Three total, 233.5 uh, right now at most shops, including the one that I'm sitting at right now here at Circus Sports. And then the nightcap between the Lakers and the Jazz. Jazz, one win away, Adam, from clinching the over on their win total. But one of the biggest frustrations of my life, look, I'm going to get it. But the Boston Celtics have ripped off six consecutive wins since they got to just one loss needed to clinch the under on the win total, which I have. Let's speed this up here, okay? Can you just suffer the one loss for me, please? Uh, they... They were doing it in spades for you for a while there. I so, know. Yeah, it seems strange that now they've decided to win six in a row when they were a team that looked disinterested in basketball for a couple of weeks there. Let's get back to that Milwaukee-Phoenix game for a second because I kind of understand, all right, we're about to go on this big road trip and we got a lot of challenging games coming up. Y- you take anything from the way that they crapped the bed against the Spurs at home at the end of that homestand? I don't think so. Like, I, I think the, the scheduling spot is obviously what you talked about is probably weight on them. I also think it's hard when you're a team like Phoenix who is really taking the regular season seriously, like wants to win every game, and it speaks to Chris Paul being their leader, right? Chris Paul wants to do that. I think it just takes a lot to be able to do that on a night-to-night basis. It just coincidentally happened right before they went on an East Coast trip, you know? Like, yeah. it's really tough to maintain that over a 72-game schedule what they're doing 
I mean, you look at uh, the fact that what were they up to at one point recently? About a 121 offensive rating over the last 10 games? Yeah, like, like, something like that. Like, like numbers that just are off the end of the far end of the graph that you don't even, you know, you have to rewrite the graph in order to, to make it work. And over the course of a regular season, that's going to be really difficult to maintain. Yep. Yeah, I did bet Milwaukee, too, by the way. I bet them, I laid two and a half. It's up to three right now in most spots. But Milwaukee's interesting, dude. Like, uh, I think – there's a lot of topics. There's a lot of conversations around, like, hey, they're trying things out defensively. You know, when they get to the when they get to the postseason, everything will be fine. They're 25th in opponent three point shooting. Like they're they're 20th or lower in like all major categories in terms of opponent three point shooting. They're the same team we've seen over the last few years. They're I think they're better offensively than they were a year ago. Drew Holiday's a much better shot creator than Eric Bledsoe. Like they got better on that end of the floor, but still got a lot of flaws in Milwaukee Bucks. A lot. All right, so then let's get to the other side of this. Let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the Lakers for a second here. Ooh, this Game is good. With the Jazz, right? I just, now, I just wrote about this. Okay, so I, I obviously well, want your, your deep expert opinion on this. We're right now looking at either six and a half or seven to a total going anywhere from two fourteen and a half to two sixteen. Have we had enough time now without LeBron and AD to figure out who the zombie Lakers are? I think you have. I think you have. So the, zombie, the, the cadaver Lakers, the zombie Lakers, <laughs> are a team that is held together with really good defense. Uh, they are second in the league in defensive efficiency since they lost LeBron. And three-point shooting. But here's the thing. It's not good three-point shooting, right? It's actually – I think it's actually a really good idea. And if you're a terrible offensive team with no shot creation, I think Frank Vogel's done a really smart thing where it's like, all right, screw it. We have nobody outside of Talon Horton Tucker – who can attack off the bounce and, like, get within four feet of the basket. Dennis Schroeder kind of too. So if we're going to be inefficient, let's be really inefficient from the most efficient area of the floor, which is three-point shooting. They're taking more three-point attempts. They have these games where they're hot and cold from beyond the arc. Well, they'll, they'll shoot really well. They'll shoot abhorrently bad. But it's kind of worked for them. Like, they've been treading water the way that they should be over these few games. Like, remember we were talking about them in danger of, like, falling to the play-in game? I don't think they're going to sniff it. AD's coming back on Thursday. LeBron's coming back in a week. They did a great job. So I think that's what they are. Like, solid, can we use a cliche, hard-nosed defensive team that's just really crappy at shooting and they're just going to shoot the ball a lot. I think it's a good way to do it. That's how I would do it if I had a bad basketball team. By the way. What do you think about this line tonight? I think it's right. I think Gobert back is going to change a lot of things. uh, Was it Saturday that they played that overtime game? Uh, Saturday. The Lakers went thir- 22 of 33 within four feet of the basket or at the rim. That's not going to happen again. It's like that's where they got a lot of their traction against the Jazz. So I think I would agree. I think it was up to seven right now. Seven and a half? No, that's the Denver game. Yeah, seven. I agree with that. There's one six and a half still hanging out there. They'll close the seven-point favorite. I would agree with that market move. Now, you know what I wrote about today, Adam? It's going to be in the New York Post. No big. No big deal. JVT in the NYP. I'm, all, I'm filling in for somebody who couldn't do it. I'm not that important. I made a commitment, Adam. I'm ready to commit. Outside of my wife that I love very much and my son. I made a commitment in the Western Conference. You know who's going to win the West? You're, you're going Nuggets, aren't you? I am not. Oh, okay. All right. I thought if I were going to see a team that you were going to move on, I thought it would have been the Nuggets. All right. This team has been the best team in basketball since the All-Star break. Lead the league in wins. Lead the league in offensive efficiency since the All-Star break. Have the best net rating in the league since the All-Star break. You buying the Clippers? The Los Angeles freaking Clippers, baby. Okay. I'm All in. Right. I'm in. They, I, I'm going to do it one more time. And I was going to say. 
Yeah, I picked them last year. I, I, I was in on them last year, and they blow that lead to the Denver Nuggets. They're so freaking good. And here's the difference, and this is what I wrote about today. It's, it's funny how I think, I think the word is ironic. I used it. I hope it's right. I'm not the best wordsmith. But it is ironic, Adam, that this season the teams all around the Los Angeles Clippers have a lot of injuries and continuity issues, right, that are plaguing them. The Lakers, Anthony Davis and LeBron James not playing together. The, the Brooklyn Nets, who have had three seven games, I think, with their big three. The Denver Nuggets just lost Jamal Murray. The Utah Jazz are just a poor matchup. And they are, by the way, undefeated against the Phoenix Suns. The Clippers have had Paul George and Kawhi Leonard together a lot more than they were last year. They actually are only 80 possessions away from matching the season total from last year that they played together, and there's still a month left in the regular season. They're freaking good. Get those thumbs down out of here, Damon. They're good, and I think they're going to do it. And, by the way, can we? Like, let's just throw this out there. They're 4-2 and two against the Lakers in the last two years. All right, so let's, come on. The only team that I've watched this year over a stretch of, like, let's say, you know, well, what has it been since the All Star break, right? Right. The, month the, stretch, have you, two months ago. St- the stretch that the Clippers have had, dude. There aren't many teams that you've looked at and said that is dominant over a stretch, right? Just completely dominant at both ends of the floor, and they've had that. Like, I don't know how long it lasts, and we'll, you know, you obviously have bought in for it. Another ticket on this ride that, you know, there've there been a few planks missing on the roller coaster track uh, over the last couple of years. But it, I, if you were going on what you see right now. It's hard to argue. And the biggest difference, last year going into the postseason to win the title, they were plus 325. Westgate's got them at 8-1 to one now. I thought you were going to say the biggest difference is they have playoff Rondo. Well, that too. Yeah. Playoff Rondo is a big deal. Yeah. Changes everything. Mm-hmm. That's when I came around on it, actually. Yeah, I'm obviously. hoping to get playoff Rondo, the one that appeared in that. Remember that Pelicans Blazers series like three or four years ago where he just kicked the crap out of C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard? They get like a 21-assist game in like game two or three, and they swept Portland. Oh, it was incredible. But I, I don't really like the NBA that much. All right, big five of five on the other side. We have a lot more to discuss. DeMond did not like our discussion about the Clippers, so I plan to spend the whole hour talking about the Los Angeles Clippers.